everyone. Welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry. For souls that are desiring union with God, a study of the works of St. John of the Cross are very helpful. He teaches us about the purification of soul through the dark night of sense and spirit, which prepares us for union with God. In this podcast, Secular Discalced Carmelite Deacon Mark Danis gives us a homily discussing this purification and what the soul can do during this time. May St. John of the Cross intercede for us and lead us on this path of union with God. I present to you Deacon Mark Danis. I recently went back and started rereading St. John of the Cross might sound surprising to you to hear that I went back to start rereading. I do it about every two years and I try to avoid the highlights that riddle my book. I have two collections of St. John of the Cross, but by now they're both riddled with yellow highlights. My caution when it comes to reading St. John of the Cross is reader beware. I have never been able to approach the readings of St. John of the Cross without being astonished by the depth of the intimacy to which he calls us in this journey in Carmel. I've been reading him for 30 years. I've been studying him for 20 and I've been teaching him for 10. And I still am taken aback. What drew me back this time is a desire to enter even more deeply at this stage of my life, into this mystery that he invites us to. And I think he does it better than any saint in the church. And in particular, this one phrase that many of you are very familiar with, and if you're not yet, you will become familiar with it. Faith is the only proximate means to union with God. Let's be clear about our destiny. Not just as Carmelites, but as baptized Christians. Our life is about one purpose, union with God, union with the Trinity through faith. In John's explanation about this journey of faith, I've always been most challenged to better understand one of his four phases for those who are familiar, and if you're not, again, you will be over time. John talks about the active night of sense. We won't go into it. It's in the first book of the Ascent of Mount Carmel you'd like to read more about it or reread it. The passive night of sense. Then there's the active night of spirit, which we'll come back to. And the most challenging, the passive night of spirit. The passive night of spirit is largely what the um, dark night text is all about. But the active night of spirit I've struggled for years to get a firm grasp on what this means. Obviously, we're active. There's something we as souls are called to do. But what I've come to understand about this need for the practice of faith in the context of the active night of spirit is a better explanation might be active passivity. You see, the active night of spirit calls us to abandon those very things that, in large measure, have gotten us through the early phases of John's model. 
We have to read, we have to study, we have to do vocal and mental prayer, we use our intellectual capability. But in the active night of spirit, we begin to abandon the supports, we begin to abandon the things that have carried us through to that stage of our spiritual intimacy with the Lord. And I want to understand, because I'm an A-type personality who always wants to take charge, what is it I can do? And in rereading John again and again, what I've come to understand is that in John's structure of purification, of leading us to perfection, we are all familiar with the capacities he discusses of intellect, memory, and will. And in each of these, we need to begin to practice a measure of active passivity, no longer depending on them. Here is the doctrine as explained by Father Cav- uh, Dr. Kavanaugh, rather, uh, F- Father Kavanaugh, in his introduction to the dark night. And I'll go back and explain why the linkage to the dark night. He says, John does not present a program of detailed asceticism for attaining the poverty of spirit implied by the radical purification. His emphasis is on allowing God to lead, on accepting the Lord's work and all its consequences. Now I said, I'm reading from The Dark Knight, but I just referenced uh, books two and three in The Ascent of Mount Carmel as the source for the beginnings of this active purification of spirit. And so I will continue with Father Kavanaugh's explanation. At the same time, he says, the teaching must be seen in relation to the main focus of the ascent as a prolongation and a complement to it. If we want to be drawn into the passive night of spirit, where God largely does the final work, which may take years, we have to prepare ourselves in the in the passive night of spirit, we have to prepare ourselves in the active night of spirit. Now the word I use personally to best describe this phase of the journey is the word abandonment. Abandonment doesn't sound particularly active, but let me explain. And by the way, if you want the best theological explanation of abandonment, you'll find it in Jean-Pierre de Cassade's Abandonment to Divine Providence. I strongly recommend you get the black cover uh, 300 plus page volume which has spiritual direction letters in it. Now as it relates to understanding this effort of purifying the spirit, we can also rely on the works of Father Garajou Lagrange who wrote, the stains of the old man still remain in the spirit like rust that will disappear only under the action of a purifying fire. But we must make our souls ready for that purifying fire. Purifying fire of God's work and our response must be one of actively avoiding, actively foregoing, reaching back for soulless satisfaction and support in any of our intellect, memory, or will. Again, from Lagrange, souls must be purified from every human attachment to their judgment, to their excessively personal manner of seeing, of willing, of acting, from every human attachment to the good works to which they devote themselves. This purification, if well-born, 
in the midst of temptations against the three theological virtues, will increase tenfold their faith, their confidence, and their love of God and neighbor. This purgation or purification of spirit, of understanding, memory, and will is accomplished in the following manner. So again, just to provide context, we must be purified in our intellect, in our memory, and in our will. And we all know that the three theological virtues are the source of that purification. The intellect is purified by faith. The memory is purified by hope. And the will is emptied of all its desires, save that of loving God, by charity. So why does John say faith is the only proximate means to union with God? Because each of those three theological virtues has an underlying element of understanding, of intellectual capacity, of imagination. The act of purification of the spirit of the understanding, memory, or will is discussed, as I said, in great detail in books two and three in the Ascent. Numerous examples are provided. I encourage you to go back and look at them. These examples demonstrate how the misguided or even wounded human intellect leads souls off the path, which otherwise would lead to contemplation. This is why it all rests on faith. Man has nothing, and I'm quoting from John of the Cross now, man has nothing more to do than strip his soul of these natural contrarieties and dissimilarities so that God may communicate himself to it supernaturally through grace. Supernatural faith, therefore, purifies human understanding, and since memory is our storage facility for human knowledge, it too needs to be purified by supernatural hope. And since the will derives its affections from human intellectual perceptions, it needs to be purified by supernatural charity. Even if you were the beneficiary of visions, John talks about this, locutions or any form of mystical experience, at this stage you have to actively put that aside, not become attached to it, not be dependent on it. Concerning the purification of memory specifically, St. John of the Cross states, we must draw it away from its natural props and capacities and raise it above itself to supreme hope in the incomprehensible God. I choose memory specifically in a very genuine effort not to confuse John's four-step process, active purification of the senses, passive purification of the senses. We won't deal with those. The active purification of spirit leads to the passive purification. His structure is intellect, memory, and will. Intellect purified by faith, memory purified by hope, and the will purified by charity, by love. But here's where the active part comes in. In addition to dispensing with these impediments, our reliance on, for example, our limited intellectual capacity, our perception of what the experiences that we have in our memory purport to determine about our life, and our love for the image of a God who, at best, is incomplete, all must be subordinated to faith. Now, I'll deal with memory only 
one, for limited time, and two, because John of the Cross says it is the memory, which I'll explain in a moment, which most gets us off course. He goes into this in great detail in the third book of the Ascent. Why the memory? The memory is the collection not simply of images, not simply of experiences. It is the entire human person, as you sit in the pews here today, as a consequence of everything that's ever happened to you, every decision you've ever made. All of that rests in the memory, and it makes you who you are, good or bad. The memory has both. It's positive aspects. We all have positive memories. We all have wonderful experiences that we draw back to. And what John cautions us in 13 separate pages is not to go back and yearn for what we would otherwise characterize as the good old days. I just want my health back. I just want my money back. I want my reputation back. I want that relationship back. Those were wonderful memories. And they are important to us in affirming us as human persons as we approach this stage. But they are insufficient to get us to the next phase of the spiritual journey. And they must be abandoned. Even the positive aspects of our life must be subordinated to faith in the belief that God is drawing us into something different. And that usually happens through trial. The trial, as impactful as it is, is exacerbated by memory. Reaching back and saying, here we go again. I've seen this before. I've experienced this. This affirms that I'm not going to succeed in my aspirations to union with God. Those elements of memory, which are engendered by imagination and intellect, must be subordinated to faith. Faith in what? Faith in the hope that none of those memories represent my future reality of an eternal bliss with God. And how is that possible? Because my understanding is that God loves me. And though I don't yet fully understand love, I wouldn't in the active night of purification of the Spirit. We don't yet fully understand the depth of God's love for us. Even though I don't, I subordinate all of it to faith. It's sufficient that Scripture tells me God is love and He loves me. We need some help in this regard. Ephesians 3.19 says, To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We, in entering contemplation, that's ultimately what this is about, when we enter those moments of contemplation, we subordinate everything to this simple act of faith. I am the object of of radical love and nothing that has ever happened to me, nothing I've ever done, no good that I've ever experienced will ever be more important than the reality that I am the object of an unrelenting love. And my hope in the reality of being drawn to the embrace of that love obliterates any reservations I have about moving forward into what will be the difficult most difficult phase, which I won't attempt to explain here.
This is about what we do. Let me give you three suggestions in closing. In your prayer, in your moments of silence, sitting in chapel, sitting in your room, wherever you find that, in nature, seek to plunge your mind into the obscurity and blindness of pure faith. A good image for this would be to see God with your mind's eye as pure light, brighter than the sun itself, shining down upon you. The brightness is so overwhelming that it blinds you of all other knowledge and understanding, anything that you have that allows you to grasp God. He's bigger than that. His brightness is all you will see. Second suggestion, seek to forget all that you remember about God. You will be tempted time and again to think about God rather than to just pray. You will be tempted to go through various reasoning processes, using your mind, trying to put together various pieces of your life. Forget it. Let it go. Seek to have an empty memory so that God can fully possess your memory alone with his pure self-giving, infused hope and love. Finally, seek to let go of every choice that you need to make. Detach from every preference, every spiritual desire, everything you think God wants you of you. Instead, simply rest in his will. Wait on him. When he is ready, he will guide you at the right time and in the right way. This is the act of faith. Only if you allow God to strip your will of all your own decisions and preferences can God fully possess your will with his. I'm going to ask you just for a moment to bow your heads. And I want to offer a prayer that is beneficial in this contemplative encounter. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty my memory, my intellect, and my entire will. All I have and call my own, you have given to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything in your, is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me.